We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moosehead Moose Podcast, this episode 166 of The Pod, alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Plenty to get to around the Chicago sports landscape. Uh, Matt, it is a uh, rejuvenated and a reinvigorated sporting season. Um, I know we've spoke on it in the past, but just the immediate foil of having nothing and now having just about everything uh, in terms of major American sports in action uh, you tell me where you want to start after you tell me how you're doing. Yeah, it was good. Well, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for asking on this this lovely Friday. Uh, I was going to say we got we got Crosstown. We got the Hawks to talk about. Sadly, they're out. We got mm-hmm. the Bulls getting the number four pick along with the NBA playoffs. Uh, we got we got the Bears in training camp and some stuff coming out from there. We got just about everything going on. Um, I don't know where we. No, Bulls get number four. You want to start there? I think that's. I think that's. I think that's, a, I think that's a logical. The logical pl- place to start on Thursday night. We waited to do the pod to uh, see where the Bulls would be sitting in to see if the Blackhawks would be playing hockey still at this juncture. Uh, we, we were going to guess number seven answers. and record yesterday morning, but yeah, you just, you just you know, figured an educated guess, but you just pencil in it at this point with the Chicago Bulls. But they do jump up into the lottery, the final spot there with number four, uh, leaving them one spot outside of the elite three mm-hmm. players uh, in this draft. But uh, when you seven. do look at that, when, better than seven, better, hashtag better than seven. Um, but when you do look at it, there is still some talent. There still are some, still are some notable names, um, including the likes of Obi Toppin, who will likely be there at number four, and some other guys. Uh, with what the Bulls need, um, I, I was looking at Mark Schanowski and what he was tweeting out. I mean, they could even move back here. That would be a little bit of a disappointment, I think, to Bulls fans to not pick at four, but um, you could fill the need at a wing there with Toppin, a guy mm-hmm. who conceivably is NBA ready um, with what we saw last season. But um, yeah, I think it's an exciting time for the Bulls. I think it's an exciting time for Arturis Karnaschovas, who, who now not only is given the keys to the car, but given a tool to kind of manipulate with mm-hmm. to see what he wants to do from a management standpoint. Um, we are, we are a week removed from Jim Boylan firing. We already covered that here. Uh, just uh, things are mushing together. That and was fun. Noticing. That was fun. Yeah, that, that was good times. That was good times. But point being is that we talked about the steps that have been laid out for the Bulls. Here's a, a bit of a catalyst. I mean, it's not necessarily the first overall pick a shot in the arm that way, but it is in a year where the draft isn't doesn't have the top tier. Um, not top. It does have a top tier, but it doesn't have a clear-cut number one, number two overall draft pick. So to be number four in a year like this, I think, has even more value than number four in a normal year. Yeah, and I, I think what's also comforting now is kind of knowing that I, I think we have the right guy running this draft. I mean, in years yeah. past, it was kind of a coin flip whether or not John Paxson and Gar Foreman would get it right. Uh, Arturis has a, a proven track record of not only picking you know, well in the first round in the lottery, but not necessarily having those net number one, number two pick, but good track record picking past Finding kind value, of the sure yeah. things. So that's where you were, you were talking about. It'd be a little bit disappointing if they trade down from four, which I agree. But at the same time, if there's a guy who I trust to trade down from four, because there's a guy he identifies at seven or eight, thinks he can get a little bit more out of that pick, all by, by all means, go for it. I, I trust him. I he Like you said, he has the keys. It's his vehicle. Now he has a tool. He can use it however he wants it. And I, he has he has the benefit of the doubt with me right now. Um, I, I'd have to agree that, you know, you have to kind of believe in management, especially it's weird when, saying that with the Bulls. Uh, yeah, it's weird saying that with any team, especially in Chicago sports, because uh, we, we watch things get bungled in a, in a far more confusing way than you could your, your imagination could ever project sometimes, which is. Um, sort of teasing forward to where I'm at with the Bears, and I do have an airing of grievances later on in the show. But uh, well, you do, uh, yeah. I just kind of, oh, I kind of yeah. came to a, I kind of came to a bit of a. Uh, it's about the quarterbacks, isn't it? It is about the quarterbacks, yeah. and I came to a bit of a conclusion um, in, in that realm. But we'll, we'll just tease that forward. We'll stay bulls here for a moment, Matt. With the number four overall pick, sure. I, I know we'll be kind of getting into the weeds here a little bit with the players, but. Um, 
who would you like to see the Bulls pick at number four? I got to be honest with you. I have no idea past those top three. I mean, Obi Toppin is the name you've heard all the time, but mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to see him much in the regular season. Honestly, my, I was relying on watching him during the NCAA tournament, which yeah. obviously never happened. Um, obviously, I think I'd like to watch one of those top three somehow fall to number four. I don't think that's going to happen. So I, I'm going to kind of put a pin in that. I, I'll say, I guess, Obi Toppin right now because I don't know anybody else really all that well, but I'm going to reserve judgment until we have our good friend Mark Schnowski on the podcast sometime before the NBA draft. I'm going to have him tell me who he wants them to take at number four, and then I'm going to say I want them to take them to take who Mark wants. I think that's my official selection at number four. The three names that are closely uh, related right now, or excuse me, closely linked to that number four overall pick is, or are, excuse me, Obi Toppin, and then you have a couple Israeli of, uh, guy? Denny foreign players. Uh, there's Killian Hayes, who's, I believe, French-born, uh, played in the ULM for a while. And then uh, beyond him, I believe the other name is, yeah, uh, Denny Avija. 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 Yeah, he's, he, he, there are obvious parallels, they say, to Luka Doncic. He's like Luka Light, kind of, but similar type of skill set coming from um, you know, the, the feeble world of basketball where um, Euro League, he's already played against professionals. I, I can't say that I have any uh, knowledge of either of those players, but I did watch a lot of Obi Toppin last year, having covered all the C- CBS weekends and, and mm-hmm. weekday nights of action and Dayton surprising teams and kind of being a block news during the college basketball season. And he's just one of those guys that makes me scratch my head when it comes to talent evaluation in the NBA. And I say that in the sense of why in the NBA is the best player in college basketball quite often not even a top five, top ten pick. Like, if you look at some of the Naismith Award winners in recent memory, not a ton of guys who are top tier in the NBA right now. Like, obviously being in Sacramento, two guys that came to mind and I did a story on it at one point were Frank Frank Mason and Buddy Heald. Now Buddy mm-hmm. Heald is a premier shooter in the league, but Frank, Frank Mason's Mason's gonna a be journeyman back you know, point guard. Journeyman looking for a job every off season. And um I, I just don't I don't know. I, I don't know why Obi Toppin as a Naismith Award winner wouldn't be in the conversation for top three. And I and I'd like for someone to explain that to me because I know there is an answer to that. I know that people know what they're doing from a talent evaluation standpoint, but I think that at a time like this and where the Bulls roster is right now with a lot of young talent that's had a year or two in the league to kind of grow and galvanize around a young leader in Zach Levine mm-hmm. uh, with with Laurie and Kobe White and, and all the young talent that surrounds it, why not have a player that's not coming in on the ground floor and a guy who sort of has a little bit of the maturation process behind him, a guy like Toppin. Mm -hmm. But same could be said for the two EuroLeague players that you're assuming that the maturation process has begun because they're playing professional basketball against 35-year-old men. So as long as they're bringing in someone in who is ready to play 20-plus minutes a night, I need 20-plus minutes Mm -hmm. a night out of this draft pick. I think that's that's what would make me happy. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good point. You need a guy who's ready to step in now. And quite honestly, don't the Bulls have enough needs where don't draft by need. They just draft the best player available. That's available. And just kind of it doesn't. Out. And that's, that's, that's kind that's of what the NBA. That's what the NBA is coming what it to needs these days. To be. It, it's yeah. not. It's not your traditional two guards, two forwards, and a center anymore. It's it's for the most part just figuring out the it's five that work the best together on the floor. It's, it's, the turning, you, you're just about to have a point, point guard. unless you have mm-hmm. Joel Embiid or like you know one of these star centers. Like there, there really is no. You have a point guard, and then you have kind of four other guys. That's yeah. about it. Uh, so I mean, just, just take the best player available, the guy that you think is going to be the best player for your team, regardless of what you know technically his position may be. Not that there's an Anthony Davis in this draft because we all know that there is not. But last night against Portland in Game Two, you saw the true embodiment of positionless basketball. AD did everything last night. I think LeBron finished with 10 points and 6 assists. Uh, hashtag Mike would never. But it's true. AD, AD was taking the ball up the court. He was catching and shooting off screens. He was taking it into the post and banging. He was ripping offensive boards and throwing it. He was doing everything. And when you have positionless basketball, you can have guys who are seven foot one floating around the three-point line. It's the NBA today. So, yeah, I think that 
to your point, uh, best available, best available, best available, you know? And again, best available. And best available. Um, Matt, we will have plenty to talk about with the Bulls once that pick is made. And like you said, hopefully get Mark Schnauzki here on the pod to tell us more about the uh, names that are being closely uh, linked to that number four overall pick. Um, but let's let's keep things Chicago-centric here. We could sure. go NBA, but a lot of basketball to be played, a lot of things to be covered over the next few months here, and we will do that. But... Uh, we have to put a bow on the Blackhawks season. Oh. Um, they fall to the Golden Knights, uh, not without a fight, not without uh, high effort, high energy, and some really exciting moments there in the first round of the playoffs. But we talked about it through text. The better team did advance here. Uh, the Blackhawks, um, and you know, I, I don't often give my dad credit for um, when it comes to sports. Should always give your give dad him, credit, Joe. No, I don't often give him because he is the pure embodiment of like. Chicago sports caller, like Love it. not really always based in fact, not always really based Joe in senior from reality. Just he wants he wants Araldis Chapman on the bump. He wants all the wide receivers, all the quarterbacks. He thinks it can all happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I say that to give him credit in the fact that he said, you know, back when the Hawks and you've made this point on the pod too, but back when the Hawks were the gold standard of the league and cup holdfuls every single time around, they had ten players who could score. They had they had four lines and ten guys who could put the buck in the back of the net. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you saw in Vegas here. Yeah, it's Vegas kind of was you, that depth and that breadth of scoring across their entire roster. Whereas the Blackhawks, you knew it was going to have to come from that first line or maybe a, a an amazing mm-hmm. um, solo effort on a second or third line. You needed what what we saw from Vegas was honestly without necessarily the Kane and Taves star power. Um, you saw a lot of what you saw in the 2010 Blackhawks. They just had four lines and three D pairs that no matter who your matchup was, they felt comfortable rolling those guys out there. They could play any type of style you want. You wanted to play fast, they could play fast. You wanted to play physical, they could play and physical. And they're going to have the jump they on could you. Do, yeah, you could do just about anything they wanted. I do credit the Blackhawks. They There was not a game that they really – I guess you can say game one got out of hand, but they – lost 4-1 to one because Corey had two soft goals. And hats off to Corey Crawford, by the way, who just got better as the series went on. And that the, even the game they won, they probably could have lost 7-2 to two if he didn't stand on his head. And game five yeah. could have been even worse than it was. Um, the more I get away from this, the more I am moving from, you know, happy what how they played, happy how they fought, to, again, angry about how the team's constructed and angry about how the team was coached and handled because I think what you saw is Duncan Keith still got some stuff left in the tank. Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane have more than enough left in the tank. Brandon Saad, he showed some flashes of being a you know, true top six guy. And you're right, when the Hawks were doing that, they had guys, lines, one through four, they could toss out there and they'd be fine, they can produce. But they don't have that anymore. And that's that's partially because of the moves that have been made to build this team. They, they Once you got that first or second line off the uh, off the ice. I mean, your third line was consisting of usually Kirby Doc, who pretty much, like you said, had to do it by himself. And he's yeah. you know 19-year-old kid, can't really do that, do all that by himself against a team like Vegas. And you had a coach that, you know, you had a, a GM that added Alex Nylander for a defenseman he could have used this year. Alex Nylander ended up, being, ended up being a healthy scratch for John Quenville, who played like nine games all year was for some reason on the ice when the Hawks were chasing a goal with two minutes left to play. Um, just a lot of questionable decisions that now are, you are hard to not overlook. Uh, they're hard to overlook, excuse me, when mm-hmm. you're kind of faced with the reality of the season being over and reassessing what happened. It's even more infuriating that this core's still prime. Now the back end of that prime, but still prime is being wasted. So my outstanding question, cause I, Agree with everything that all the sentiments you just shared there, Matt. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of question marks. And if you go back and listen to that podcast that we did with Pat Boyle, a lot of um, you know uneasy feelings that w- that that we might be left to deal with if that means uh, you know a guy whose jersey is going to be hanging in the rafters someday being shipped out to mm-hmm. really reignite or, or be the catalyst to a rebuild. Um, and, and I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to look forward to that. But you mentioned the name Corey Crawford here. And he did get better throughout the series, but he did not look like at any point he was comfortable. And, and I don't know, you know, again, we can be as critical as we want. Hindsight's twenty twenty. 
he was moving differently. I don't know if he felt like I he would say to, towards. I, I agree. I don't know if he you. felt like he didn't needed to do more. But I, I, I don't want to go that direction. Here. I want to ask you, what is the future of Corey Crawford with the Blackhawks beyond this season? Because I'm looking at his uh, his contract right now, and I believe he's up. He's if, up. If yeah, I'm not he's, mistaken, he's a, he's that was we may have seen the last of Corey Crawford. Now you do we may let have. Robin you do let Robin Leonard go, um, or part of that deal. So you're likely going to recommit to Corey Crawford mm-hmm. here, but having to recommit to a Stanley Cup caliber goaltender in a year where you have to face the reality of maybe moving a couple top tier skaters. H- how do you juggle all those things at once is the question I'm getting to. Here. You know, I, I think he's going to be back because I, this team, this, this core, they're, they're not going to punt on that. And if you're getting rid of Corey Ca- Crawford and going with one of your backup goalie options right now, you're kind of punting on the rest of the core. So you might as well trade every you trade, yeah. Those guys let those guys walk, which I, I don't think they're doing anytime soon. Uh, Corey is he's just got paid. He's getting off a deal. It was six years, six mil per. I don't think he's getting six million anymore. I, I think they're going to need him to take closer to four, three to four, which I think I think he probably does, which is not a bad you know three year, twelve million dollar contract for a guy that's thirty five, thirty six, mm-hmm, thirty four. I, I, th- I think that's something he'd be interested in, especially this is really the only place he's ever played. His wife's from here. His kids are from here. I'm not sure he's going to see many other options or Beautiful deals. Spot that in the West Loop. Beautiful spot. spot. Not too far from me, apparently. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put the building name out there, but beautiful. Yeah, it's it's, it's, there, a, it's a. It's I walk past the building a lot. It's it's a very nice building. Brand new development. Um, I don't. I don't see him getting paid enough elsewhere. That's going to make him want to up and leave. Um, yeah. I, th- for, I think one of the hockey writers for the Athletic suggested he might want to. He, he, weird for an interesting fit would be going and being like a one B with Carey Price in Montreal, but that makes hmm. absolutely zero sense to me because one, why would Montreal want to commit fourteen million dollars to goaltending to goalies? And because yeah. Carey Price is getting ten and two. I, Corey, not that he had a problem with Robin Leonard, but obviously he's a competitive guy and he wanted to win that battle. And he, I, I'm not sure he loved the fact that he was in a one A one B situation, and that 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 was a question between him and Leonard, who's one A one B. If you go to Montreal and play with Carey Price, there's no question you're one B and you're starting two games a week. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, I I think he's back here, and I think it's on a, a two or three year deal, paying him about three to four million per. I just I don't see him leaving. Well, despite. Um a frustrating season that it has been. The Blackhawks did give us a couple moments, thanks to you know the reworked setup, uh, getting them into the playoffs, getting them into that play in the series, um, and it was fun to feel like the Blackhawks had playoff relevance once again, and that teams were taking notice, and that teams didn't feel like they were going to skate right by the Blackhawks. So, if nothing else, hopefully that gives us a taste of what we once saw, and hopefully what we'll see in the in the near future as well. Yeah, I mean, I think what you saw is they're not terribly far away but they need to make there's three or four moves that they need to hit on that they need to get right and they stands track record with those isn't necessarily great and they don't really have yeah. much cap space so it's going to take a really pretty much perfectly executed offseason they're going to need these international guys they signed to come in and be like it not maybe not a 30 goal scorer like dominic kubelik but be guys that make impacts right away they're gonna need ian mitchell to be the guy they hope he is right away, which is a top, you know, top four, eventually top two defenseman. They need a lot of things to go right with their cap situation. But again, like we saw, they were definitely Vegas was definitely the better team, but it wasn't like they didn't belong on the ice with them. No, no, um, I completely agree with you. They they did what they could. I mm-hmm. think is is the, a good way to put it. They, quite honestly, now that they're done, I'm very excited to go root for Vegas the rest of the way because I love watching that hockey team. They are just yeah. an absolute wagon. They're like like you said, no like we were saying earlier, doesn't matter which deep pairing, which forward group is on the ice, they can compete with anybody playing any style, and it's just a whole fun, a whole lot of fun to watch. And I like Robin Leonard. I have no hard right, feelings man. towards Robin Leonard. I am giving you the keys to the car here. You are in charge of the Chicago Blackhawks. What is the first move you make this offseason? Uh, my first move is probably contacting Corey Crawford's agent to get, maybe not sign the deal right away, but see the framework of what they're looking for. I want yeah. to negotiate that contract. I, I think my second one is to uh, Ron Francis, who's running, who's the GM over, or GM or president over in Seattle, and 
basically saying what's it going to take for you to take Brent Seabrook in the expansion draft. And once we work something out there, I am calling Brent Seabrook and convincing him to go to Seattle the in the expansion draft. <laughs> Bleep that for me. I, <laughs> no, sorry. It was literally just, I don't care. I don't care. I can stay in. Literally just um, uh, uh, an unbridled moment there of um, it's a, just can, trying to. We can keep to, that in. I, we can keep that in. That's okay. We can swear. Just on trying to, hey, for, for all that he's done, for all that he's been worth, um, and for it's not every his fault. dime. It's not his no, fault it's not. That he was offered not a ridiculous contract. And it's you, not his fault that his body. That it's not his fault that his body in some ways is starting to betray him as he's grown older. Brent Seabrook was a Chicago Blackhawk before we were the Chicago Blackhawks. He he, was the he first lived one. through him he Duncan lived Keith. through a couple of those dark years. He and, and played through those. Him, Duncan Keith, um, things started to turn when Sharpie got to town. It, those guys will for were forever indebted to those guys. But you cannot let that debt it's, handcuff you and hinder you moving forward, which it is right now. The Hawks, who had a chance to be kind of like a Patriots type dynasty in the NHL decided to handle their roster the exact opposite of the Patriot way, where they got rid of guys a year early instead of a year too late, and they didn't reward guys for what they've done in the past. They got went out and got guys for what they're going to do in the future. The Hawks have done the opposite. They've rewarded their guys. They've given out no movement clauses like candy. They overpay for guys for what they did for them in the past. And that's... I mean, that's why we are where we are. When when the Hawks are in the Stanley Cup Finals in 2028, 2032, whatever it may be, that's the next time I want to see Brent Seabrook on the ice is dropping the ceremonial first puck. 2028, so that's eight years from now. Patrick Kane eight. will be 39 and still probably like a 25 goal scorer. I, I still, still think he's going to be a, he'll, <laughs> he'll be a thir- he'll be like a Marty St. Louis, like just kind of bouncing around the ice. Still, he's not on a first line anymore, but. Put him on a wing. He's still going to find the soft spots to find some goals for it. He's, still he, you still don't want to right. see him all alone with the goaltender. He's going to he's going to figure out a way to get one in there. Uh, well, that is uh, the Blackhawks season in a nutshell. And it'll be very very interesting to see how they go about this off season. A very important off season uh, for the both short term and long term future. Yeah, and I think like, like with Mark organization, we'll, we should try and get Pat or, or somebody else on here once once the season's for over sure. and the, the off season starts the 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 off-season plans start to come into more of a clearer picture, kind of get somebody on here too to, to better explain than what we can. Most definitely. Um, we also got cross we, we, must, we must turn our attention to a bit of Crosstown. The Cubs and the Sox set the face off here. Uh, Two-gamer? Uh, no, three-game. Full three-game. All weekend. Full three games over the weekend. Cubs-Sox, uh, both teams at very, very important parts of the season. We are about 45, almost 50% done with the season Mm -hmm. uh the regular season will be done at the end of next month or beginning of next month at the end close to what is it september 28th i believe is the last day of the regular season yeah yeah it's end of of next month it'll be over and for as much as teams are saying oh this is a glorified spring training well it's not a glorified spring training if you can't work your way in and Mm -hmm. the cubs and the Sox are both on that teetering edge of Will they be one of the two top two in the division? Will the Sox uh, be that wild card team mm-hmm. and have to deal with the Yankees in a three game play? And so much is up in the air, and there's so much to play for. But this weekend, it comes down to city supremacy, um, and you know it feels different. There aren't going to be the fans in the stands. It doesn't feel like uh, this one's for the Crosstown Cup. It feels like another, you know, a- another three game set in a really weird season. But um, what do you hope to learn this weekend about both of these ball clubs, Matt? You know, I, I think for the Cubs, I, I think you're, you're looking just for more positive signs from the bullpen. You're looking for the lineup to break out of a little bit of funk they've been in. There's not too much to be upset about with the Cubs. I think they've gotten yeah. contributions from places they didn't necessarily expect them to be this year. I know it was just one outing, but Craig Kimbrell against the Cardinals kind of looked like the old Craig Kimbrell that we're, we're used to. Um, so obviously you have your one of your rivals at home coming off a five game set, which is weird to say a five game set mm-hmm. uh, with the Cardinals. But I think if you're the Cubs, you, you got the starters that you want out there in Lester and Hendricks in games one and two that you hope can give you six, seven innings a game here. So to, to give your bullpen a little bit of a rest. Um, and I think if you're the Sox, I mean, obviously what we've seen from them the last couple of weeks, they've beat up on the teams they should beat up on. And that's something that, 
that's that's new to new to us as Sox fans. The last yeah. couple of years, like even last year when they weren't necessarily good, but you know they were supposed to be trending in the right direction, they still struggle with the Tigers and Royals. Now it's starting to. I know their matchups with you know good quote unquote good teams are are kind of limited this year because of the divisional matchups. But these are the series now that if you want to go from wild card contender to division winner, you have to win these series. You have to start taking two out of three from yeah. the good teams because you are a good team as well. Um, so I'm just looking for not much of a drop off than what we saw. I mean, they're not going to beat up on the Cubs like they beat up on the Tigers because the Tigers absolutely stink. That's a terrible baseball team. Um, but just to keep building on those performances at the plate. And, and it's also, mind, I should say, and it's also fantastic. filing away as much information, as many mental data points as you can about this Cubs team for those critical games at the end of the season, which we've been saying it since before first pitch, are going to have some sort of bearing on both sides of town. It, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just going to be that way. Whether it's whether to get in the play or who you're playing, card, yeah, it's it's something. It's there's going to be implications in that final series. So I think that. Just seeing a fully mentally engaged White Sox ball club is important. We know the Cubs are going to bring that. We know mm-hmm. there's a professionalism about that ball club, whether it's led by the leaders, whether it's led by Rossi and their growing belief in their manager, or whether it's led by those unexpected performances. They're going to come to the ballpark every day, and they're going to be engaged at the task at hand. Not to say the White Sox aren't, but there have been moments where they've looked like the G-Box oh, yeah. Little League team that – there's got to be something fun and flashy and sparkly to catch their attention. Well, it's Cubs Sox. It doesn't get much more fun, flashy than sparkly than this weekend in Chicago. And I, I do love the guy the Sox have going on the mound for them today. They, I mean, they have their John Lester. They got the Alice Keuchel on the mound, who is, yep. like you said, he's he's their pro. He's the guy who's going to go out and give you a consistent effort and probably get. He's the guy who can get your team in the right mindset. Mind space. He's a, he's a great tone setter, I think, for the Sox and the way they want to approach the series and how he approaches every start. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm excited to see two the two old school kind of soft tossing lefties go back at it tonight yeah. because I, both of them are off to awesome starts this year. Um, the Sox have absolutely murdered left handed pitching this year, so I, I think that'll be a fun matchup. It's kind of which which one's going to give here. Lester's been great. Sox are killing lefties. Um, I'm very excited to see it. This is going to be a fun um, game to watch. It's going to be a blast of a weekend for Chicago baseball. Matt, the one thing that I've always found very interesting, and I've brought it up here on the podcast before, is moving around the country and listening to different sports talk radio and different fan bases Mm -hmm. and just how they go about their business, what the general um, temperature is around some of these teams. And the Yankees are obviously one of the best teams in baseball right now, despite being injury-plagued in the short term. But they're already looking towards the playoffs, and they are one of the ball clubs who can use this as a glorified play-in. But if they do end up winning the East, and the White Sox do have to face them in a three-game set mm-hmm. because they're the wild card, there is already so much mental real estate being taken up by Dallas Keuchel and the mental and the White Sox in the mental of the New York Yankees right mm-hmm. now. I swear to you, two, three times a, a week, I'll just randomly turn on the radio, and they'll be talking about potential playoff matchups and the name. They're, they still Dallas see Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel as their as their kryptonite. Kryptonite. He still. They, I don't know if they want the opportunity to crack that code because they feel like Keuchel has their number. So it was all part of a greater conversation on the radio um, during the Yankees broadcast yesterday. They were talking about the potential matchups and just regardless, you know being the one seed this year doesn't necessarily afford you all that much. What it gets you is a three-game set against what's going to be a pretty good ball club, so whether that be the White Sox or somebody else. Didn't they adopt the, like, doesn't the, the winner, the, the one seed in each division, each um They get the home field get to, advantage for all Don't they games. get to pick their opponent, though? No, that was, I don't believe that that was adopted. Oh, I that, thought that they was don't adopted get to pick their opponent. Year. Okay, because I was no, going to say I, the Yankees might avoid the That was one of the things that was floated. Floated. I believe okay. it's just one versus wild card. If I'm not mistaken, I'll have to go back and look at it. But the reward for winning is a three-game set again, in which you get bring the field it advantage, and that's what that's that's kind of the sense that the White Sox have to start adopting is bring it on because anyone can beat anyone two out of three. You're seeing that all across the country throughout this season. That's that's baseball. Yeah. You know, you can you could drop two of three to a bad ball club, and you're not going to get a bad ball club in that early series. So, um, just. 
I, I, coming off of your point about Dallas Keuchel, about the importance of him being a 1A or a 2 or even a 1 on the staff mm-hmm. and sort of asserting that dominance that he once did because, you know, it's not the Dallas Keuchel of Cy Young of old, but um, seeing what he can do against a good ball club, against the Cubs here tonight is going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Uh, Matt, why don't you play my music? Because okay. I got three minutes. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to try not to get crazy, but hit the music. You're going to get crazy. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind? I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. I, I don't want to lose my cool here, and I'm not going to because it's not worth it, but... In reading what I've read and listening to what we're listening about this quarterback contest, controversy, whatever you want to call it, in Chicago, I have a growing feeling that Mitch Trubisky might be the Bears' starting quarterback. And to me, that's not okay. But then I work through the... I work through the mental of what if Mitch Trubisky is the quarterback and your backup quarterback is $21 million in dead money. There's no winning formula for the Chicago Bears this season. And I don't mean wins and losses. I mean, as Bears fans, for you to be able to make the business make sense to me. If Nick Foles is the starter and you've punted on Mitch Trubisky, you're admitting to pass fault with Mitch Trubisky. That's something that we've gotten over. But if Mitch Trubisky is the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears and you went and spent $24 million, 21 of which is dead, on a backup quarterback and you have a $21 million backup quarterback, that is simply unacceptable. And this has led me to the greater idea of why is there a quarterback contest right now? You didn't pick up one guy's fifth year and you paid $21 million for a starting quarterback. That's starting quarterback money. That is not backup money. Name him the starting quarterback the day you sign the damn contract. And if something happens during the season, then Mitch Trubisky becomes the starter in week six. That's just Bears football. But the way they're going about their business and leaving this open to Mitch Trubisky possibly being the starter shows the ineptitude of this front office. How are you going to have a $21 million backup quarterback? You know what you could get for $21 million? A lot of things. You can get edge rushers. You could get defensive back help. You could get 10 running backs. You could get 21 Cam Newtons for $21 million, apparently. And if you're spending $21 million on your backup quarterback position, explain to me the finances. Well, it's it's 21 over three years. It's not he's, yeah, got, but he's not 21 guaranteed this year. So let's but it's, not, it's not front you're loaded and it's dead to, cat money. Yes, this year. So, but I guess it's like to play devil's advocate to that. You're paying you're paying Chase Daniel every bit of that last year. I mean, seeing as seeing a backup quarterback throughout the NFL get paid to be a and I'm not saying Nick Foles is going to be the backup quarterback. There's a very decent chance that he starts. Seeing a backup quarterback get paid five or six million isn't like that uncommon. I understand that, but in terms of dead money, I'm looking at the contract. Yes, dead right money now. is seventeen million. He it looks like seventeen get- million dollars in dead money this year. You cannot have seventeen million dollars in dead cap space committed to a backup quarterback. Is the point I'm trying to make here? So here's and- I, I actually don't know the answer because NFL contracts and caps are very confusing to me. Sometimes there's a lot of terms. The cap hit is all, a dead cap is only if you were to get like trade him, cut him. He's not on the team. Then you then you have seventeen million, or it's they there's only six point six against their cap. I, I I don't know. Six point six base and signing would be against the cap okay. this year. But you've made a financial commitment to this guy. Whether whether you've allowed yourself the flexibility to have him be your backup at $6 million, which mm-hmm. would, again, be one of the highest-paid backups in the NFL right now. That's that's Teddy Bridgewater backup money. Um, I, I don't understand how you don't name Nick Foles the quarterback day one, week one. Where How has Nick Foles not been named the starting quarterback yet? We have football in less than, what, three weeks? In three Sundays, we get NFL football. September thirteenth, the Bears cool kick off their about. season. I mean, it's it's really cool to think about. But at the same time, everything with the NFL cycle feels behind. Doesn't it feel like training camp? Doesn't it feel like July? No, right it now doesn't. In the it NFL does, cycle. Like it doesn't feel like football is coming. And I think that 
that is allowing the Bears to prolong this decision that should have been made long ago. Nick Foles needs to be your starting quarterback because the greater idea of what I'm trying to get here is the way that the Bears have gone about their business at the quarterback position has admitted fault in one way or the other. It's admitted fault that you either bungled the future of your franchise Uh with Mitch Trubisky four years ago or you bungled it with a signing four months ago. One way or the other, you messed up. And I think the lesser of the two evils is naming Nick Foles the starting quarterback. And if you need to put Mitch Trubisky in in week four, week six, week ten, so be it. We've said it here on the podcast before, Matt, whether it be for injury or poor play, we're going to see both of these guys play quarterback for the Chicago Mm -hmm. Bears this season. There is not going to be a 16-game starter in Chicago this year or any year for that matter just because of the attrition level in the NFL. I think three guys last year started 16 games plus Mm -hmm. for their their teams, if that. I want to say the number was three. I'd seen it in the past. You're going to see both guys. Mitch is going to get opportunities, and he's likely going to be a career backup in the NFL. Let's get there. Let's get there right now so this team can have a vision, so this team can have a leader, so this offense can have a voice in the huddle and try and do something productive with the 2020 season. I just can't sit here and watch a Bears football team shuffle their feet on the business side and then shuffle their feet on the field. That's what happened last year. And maybe not on the business side because what decisions did were there needed to mm-hmm. what decisions needed to be made. But there were expectations that were not met last year. You need to act with expediency. You need to act with belief in your virtues and your decisions. What they're doing right now is just deferring decisions. And it that does not lead to success on a football field. I, I hate it. I hated being on teams where the starting quarterback was named the Friday before we played. That just that just wasn't it. That never that's never what we wanted. And it's oftentimes what it happened. And sometimes it hindered you. In high school, we dealt with it at Fenwick. Early on, at some stages at at Illinois Wesleyan, there were quarterback decisions made extremely late. It's not good for an offense. No, but at the same time, as I'm okay with wanting somebody to go win a job in this scenario. I, I do think it's better off that it, they have a guy, you know, a week or so, more than just the weekend before the game. The team knows who's starting quarterback, who's getting more first team reps. But if they're playing pretty equal throughout practice, which by all, uh, it actually throughout but most reports, Mitch has kind of been out playing. That's it, man. I'm, I'm okay you. with taking the win guy a job. who's out playing. Win a job, but if it's not clearly evident that the guy that you're spending the money you're spending on, uh, on a however you want to break down the contract, $24 million contract over mm-hmm. three years, then what are we doing here from a business standpoint? Oh, I won't fight what you are, on that. What, if, he, if he ends what, up losing what, the what job, are, it's not, it doesn't look great for your cap for the money that you have. Then that speaks to a larger issue of talent evaluation. Oh, yeah. Well, you not being able to see what's worth money. Yeah, you're not going to get an argument that, there. So that's, that's my grievance here, is that is one of the evils we will be left to deal with. Either that evil or the evil of Mitch Trubisky and the admittance that we got it wrong at number two. That we traded up and we got it wrong at number two. The whole world is aware of that. Not starting Mitch Trubisky, naming Nick Foles the starting quarterback, is your personal admittance of that. So what I'm asking the Bears to do is swallow their damn Adam's apple, name Nick Foles your starter, and we'll see Mitch when we see Mitch. Like there needs to there there just needs to be a more clear plan plotted out by this leadership. And I and I don't see it. And that's that's what leaves the Bears in the eight and eight limbo that we will always be in despite having one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. That's, I, that's, what, that's what prevents teams from maximizing talent is lack of vision. And I think the Bears lack a great amount of vision from both their head coaching, from their staff, and from the front office, the actual decision makers. And it's a trickle-down effect. And I think that this year is the biggest year in Matt Nagy's head coaching career. Mm-hmm. Because if Matt Nagy well, that, yeah, doesn't produce easy. this year, no Matt doubt. Nagy's an offensive coordinator. We'll see if your system, your your plus motion, your this and that, your pseudo Kyle Shanahan works somewhere else. Because the vision from a head coaching standpoint, we did not see it last year. 
I hope that he shows us vision this year. But the vision from the top, I'm having a hard time seeing right now. Man. I, I don't think you're – I would say the vision from the quarterback position, I, I completely agree with you there. I, and that's, I, the, I, biggest, I, that's and the biggest decision you have to make yeah, in we, football, and it will be until they stop Exactly. We, we've talked about this on to no end on these podcasts that Ryan Pace, outside of the quarterback position, has done a pretty darn – Good to decent job of putting this team together, but if yeah, you can't no one's going to no hit a thousand. If no you can't, if you can't, if you can't get the quarterback position right, not just with the Bears, with any organization in football, if you can't get that position right, it doesn't matter how many other positions you can. You're not going to do. You're not going to win enough, and you're not going to find yourself in a position to keep your job for very long. Except yeah. if you're and Bill O'Brien. This is a conversation, like you said, this is a conversation we continue to have on the Moose and Runes podcast. It's just bothering me because last week. You know, I started getting that feeling of football's right around the corner. Like, we're there are live NFL snaps happening in less than a month. Mm-hmm. And not just in Chicago, but across the league, it feels like everything is a little bit behind the pace. And it feels like teams are going to be lesser prepared. And we've made the point in the past that when you're in situations like this where adaptability is huge, it further magnifies the teams that know how to operate despite adversity and the teams that kind of have their thumb in their ear. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that the Bears are a thumb in their ear franchise. I think the one – I completely agree with you in the sentiment that the, the teams with the consistent coaching staffs, the consistent players that you know have, have been together for a while are the ones not that even have that. advantage. Not to cut you off, but not, sure. not even that. Because if you look at the Patriots and how their roster has changed over the last 20 years – Well, they're not. Like, I mean, everyone's roster is going to turn over. But even over the last five years, the ability to maximize the talent on your roster, regardless if you've got to put – Take names on the helmet because we got fifty-two new faces yes. in here or not. Bill Belichick, you're gonna the see, greatest you're coach gonna, in the history of football. Yes, of course and, and, and we use that. we use the we use the far end of the spectrum yeah. to compare. But even franchises like the Green Bay Packers, and I hate to go to our rival here, Ew. but the Green Bay Packers, who through all the quarterback and coaching controversy that's followed Aaron Rodgers, there have won divisions, have gone to Super Bowls, and have been in the NFC title game more times than not only the Bears, but I'd argue, I mean, you can look at the numbers, they've been in the NFC Championship game more than 80% of the league over the last decade or, or throughout the Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has been to what? Four or five NFC Championship games? Sounds about right. Like, it's, it's the ability to produce regardless of who's on the roster, on the field, in the building. It's It's... The ability to execute. These we'll are see all that. professionals, and some teams have a ceiling of eight and eight. The Bears don't have a ceiling of eight and eight. They perform to eight and eight. The Bears' ceiling, with the talent that they have, is much higher than eight and eight. And it's just frustrating to see them not reach their ceiling. The Bengals might have a six-win ceiling this this season, or a five-win mm-hmm. ceiling. They might reach that ceiling because they executed to the best of their ability. Not seeing the Bears execute or or pre- preparing myself for the Bears to once again not execute is just a sickening feeling that we have to go through at the beginning of every season because nothing has happened to make us believe it's going to be any different. I, you know, I, I'm choosing to take a little bit more of an optimist look at this Bears season just because I that's I, I think that's usually how I am at the beginning of seasons, but I we'll find out pretty soon here. Yes, I, yes, I hope, we will. I'm okay with the position battle. I, I kind of hope Nick Foles wins it. Um, but if, if throughout camp Mitch is just outperforming him, like you said, we're going to see both no matter what this year at some point. No one's playing 16 games at that position, whether it is from injury or um, probably results on the field. Um, if Mitch is going out and having the better camp, then I, I'm okay with him running running him, out, running him out there week one, especially against the team in the Lions that he's kind of lit up in the past. But I'd I'd love to. I just want I want there out of camp to be a clear cut answer. I don't really I, because you I, know I what right now that Matt? is. I, I know it looks bad if it's not Nick Foles if he's not your clear cut answer. But I would like I think the worst thing for this team is throughout camp you have two guys who kind of waffle, don't really perform all that well, and, and you're left with a position. And that's that's a very realistic chance. Yeah, so, there might not be a huge difference between them. If we want to look at the but, positive signs about Bears camps, which I'm not sure you're ready to give, do yet. give me the positive in a second, but Okay, that's fair. The, Finish despite your all, no, off of the thought that you just had, despite who is performing better, mm-hmm. who is clear-cut or not better than one or the other, that offense right now 
I guarantee you, believes in one of those guys more than the other. And I'm not saying that that's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, Mm -hmm. but that's how things go. Hey, Nick had a day today. Hey, Mitch looked good today. Mm -hmm. Put a couple of those days together, that offense starts feeling like that's their quarterback. That offense believes in one guy more than the other right now, this moment at camp. And for the Bears not to name a quarterback, whether it's in lockstep with that feeling, it allows that feeling to vacillate day to day. It is, but they're also in like day four of practices, basically. I mean, it's hard to get that finger on the pulse when you're not in pads, when you're not, when you're not, when you're just pretty much out there in walkthroughs and all that stuff. It's not easy. It, they've been in past I want three answers. or four days. I want answers. And you, I think you'll get them soon. If we're going now, can I, can I say my positive? Yeah, go positive. Go positive. Um, it sounds like at least the position outside of quarterback that the Bears have not been able to figure out over the last few years, tight end, has mm-hmm. been an absolutely huge bright spot in camp. Komet's um, looking good. Komet's looking good. It's going to be great. Jimmy Graham looks great in practice. I'll believe everybody. Jimmy Graham when he's not injured eight plays into the season. Hey, you know what? Like, That's also a fair point, but I will – I remember looking back at camp last year, and we were, you know, we obviously weren't at practices, but people, or Bears writers, are tweeting about it, writing about it, and the overall arching theme was defense looks great, offense is struggling. The, uh, that yeah. was that was not that didn't change at all throughout camp. And quite honestly, that's exactly what we saw last year in in, in season. Defense mm-hmm. looked great, offense struggled. It, granted, it's only four days into camp, but the narrative has not really been that this year. It's been the, the defense looks very good. The offense looks like they have some juice to them, and that's partially because of how how vi- we've talked about it, like to no end on this podcast, how vital the tight end position is to this to this offense, and because and of the way those guys have been performing early on in camp, it seems like the offense is is going a little bit, a lot more than it was last year. Which is again, it's just camp, so you can't fully. But you have to you have to take the wins where you can get them. This is these are important minutes, these are important mm-hmm. reps, this is important time, far more than in years past because of the condensed timetable that everybody's on mm-hmm. and the lack of preseason. But back to your tight end point, I, I take a shot at Matt Nagy calling his offense pseudo Shanahan, but if, if it is going to be pseudo Shanahan or rooted in those same principles as a Kyle Shanahan, offense, the damn you not only, you not only have to have one tight end that can catch and block, mm-hmm. you need to have two or three tight ends that can catch and block Kyle Shanahan's offense last year lined up in three tight or two tight in an H-back or two tight in a fullback mm-hmm. more than anyone else in the league. And that was to get interesting, intricate run looks. But when you break it down, it's zone football. Like, you can make it look as crazy as I you want. I love look. the zone it's, scheme. It's zone blocking. Go get a hat on a hat. Create a hole for one of the fastest guys in the league to break a freaking run seven to 52 yards. You know, like that's... And then, and then we run play action off of that. We make Jimmy look good off of that. We make Mitch look good. We make Nick look good off of that. But well, not to make a tight end have, joke, the Bears have, have several of those on the roster right now. There, there it is. But you have to have not just quantity, but quality at the tight end position in this type of offense. And, well, I think, and, well, and, it, looks, and it looks unbelievable. It doesn't look like zone football. It doesn't look cookie cutter. It looks like something brand new, but it's rooted it's just, in old yeah. principle. But when it works and oh, when it's it, beautiful to watch, when it's executed, it's beautiful in the pass game and in the run game. I mean, those play actions like zone, zone read left play action bootleg to George Kittle running just a deep post or a deep drag route. Like that's that's mm-hmm. that's simple football. Yet some of the most effective things that you can do if teams have to be committed to your run game. Yeah. And this is a this is someone who wants to pass the ball fifty times a game, but set it up with the run this year because that's who the Bears have to be. We don't have Aaron Rodgers under center, regardless of who starts. We don't not yet. We don't have Pat Mahomes under center. We could have. But we All don't right. have yeah. a guy we neither of our guys need to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game. They just can't. They just can't. Neither of these players can do that. And and, and expect the Bears to be successful. Um, so to hear that the to hear that the tight end position is going to open up some facets to this offense is really encouraging. And that I will be positive about. Yeah. And I, I think, like you said, if the heavy on the word pseudo, but a pseudo Kyle Shanahan offense, obviously they have those top two in commit and Jimmy Graham and Jimmy Graham's probably not going to give you much or put his hand in the dirt. If, if at all yeah. this year, they, they had a couple guys last year. So I, J, JP Holtz was the one that really struck out, stuck out to me. That was a tight end fullback kind of hybrid guy that was able to actually have some effective games in that pos- at that position. I remember the Cowboys. And that's all it needs to be is effective. That's, that's it doesn't need to be a big name like Jimmy Graham. It doesn't need to be all that. 
you know, you know who had who you might catch four hero? passes all year, but we need you. To, we need you to dig a defensive end out. The unsung hero with the 49ers for the last five seasons, Kyle Juszczyk. But beyond that, Ross Dwelly was their was their backup tight end. And when Kittle was dinged up, became their number one. But in those two tight end sets, Ross Dwelly was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a I, I think he was a sixth round, a fifth round. He was a fifth round guy, if I'm not mistaken, and just took to the offense, executed properly, and then that's when you start cooking with gas. That's when you make your way to an NFC championship game. That's when you make your way to a Super Bowl is when guys like Ross Dwelly outperform their expectation. It doesn't need to be Jimmy Graham catching a go route up the scene, you know? I would like to see a couple of those this year, but yes. Yeah, we'll see a couple. But uh, here's to hoping that the tight end position and the quarterback position and all the other positions do pan out and everybody stays healthy like they did two years ago to make us the best football team that we can be because we have Bears football coming up on September 13th, Matt. We are inside I can't of believe month. it. It's really weird. We are inside of, what's today? Today, uh, today's, today's the 21st, Friday. 22nd, 21st. Today's the 21st. So in less than three weeks, the NFL season kicks off on Thursday just, the 10th. It's so weird because like, we're obviously so used to the preseason and there's there's not that this year. Like, I get so used to you know getting excited for that first preseason game and then not really caring about it because like, mm-hmm. it's just preseason football, but you still have that time to ramp up and like kind of get yourself ready and feel the anticipation of, well, now we're only three weeks away. Now we're only two. There's We don't really have those like tent poles to hit anymore. It's weird. Yeah. There is a, a different pacing to all of it, but we will continue to keep you in the know, updated, and uh, let you exercise your angst here on the Moose and Roots podcast. I, I do have a late mailbag submission if you're if you're if you got it. some time. It, it, it should be pretty quick. It's from our good friend Parker Carroll. Um, right. Crosstown Classic this weekend, pretty simple. What's what's your favorite Crosstown moment? We're both Sox fans here, so probably be Sox based. But give me give me your favorite Crosstown 2000, moment. Two thousand. 2000 maybe 1999 2000 Jose Valentin walk off uh I was at the game uh on just it it, for some reason it's one of those weird ones that's burnt in my head forever obviously you could say AJ at the plate whatever that was back when the the walls at Comiskey were blue right or at the side yeah there's the blue Jose Valentin walk off and I believe 1999 might have been my first walk off I was ever at so that one just is like burned in my memory okay the mustache Jose Valentin's mustache like that was just Mm. I love Jose Valentin. I think that Uh, was like Ray Durham years. Um, It might have been after Ray Durham. No, that was was, was Valentin. I I want to say 99. Yeah, Yeah, I want to say 99. That was. Uh, Mine is, I think it was actually the same season as the Barrett punch, but AJ at Wrigley. Sox were down, I think, six to five in the ninth, and Ryan Dempster was on to close, and AJ just absolutely nuked a three-run shot onto Waveland in Wrigley. And that, that was, you hear walk-off cheers. The wa- the boos for Pruszynski rounding the bases were about as loud <laughs> as a cheer for a walk-off in Wrigley. And that, and obviously the Sox came on, closed it out, won the game. That for me was, that, that's just the rivalry there, the history, the fact that it happened, you know, right, pretty much right after the, the Barrett incident yeah. and all that, the hatred there, that was, that was for me. That's, that's number one. AJ, shower me in your tears, Pruszynski. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, we say thank you for listening to this episode 166 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Send us those mailbag questions. Keep us uh, keep us regular here. Keep us honest and, and, and get us those topics that we love to uh, mull over here. Great stuff from our guy Parker Carroll there, taking a little look into our favorite cross-town experiences. But it's all fair game here on the Moose and Runes podcast. We want to know what you want to know. So hit us up at Moose and Runes or on either of our social medias at mrooney23 at Moose on Air. Do it all, send it our way, and we will make this podcast yours because that's what we're about here on the Boost News Podcast. For Matt, I am Joe. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Bye. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the state was phenomenal.